0: Five times a day, something unremarkable happens. Though many things happen five times a day or come in fives, it's not hard to find five of something. Most mammals, reptiles, and amphibians have five fingers and toes on each extremity. The atomic number of boron is five. (laughs) A good number of us experience the world through five senses. In Hinduism, the god Shiva has five faces. There are five Books of Moses, five Pillars of Islam, and five times a day the 1.8 billion Muslims of the world pause to pray. A pentagram has five points, there are five Rambo movies, (laughs) (laughs) and the list can go on. Most of them are equally unremarkable, though some people might find them deeply meaningful especially those movies. (laughs) Either way, these fives, these lists of fives, are just the way things are. But this makes the five I am talking about even more unimpressive. Five times a day, my phone buzzes. Imagine that! For many of you, your phone has buzzed five times in the last couple minutes. But one of the few notifications I allow to happen every single day only goes off five times. Five simple buzzes and one simple message on the screen. Five times a day, that phone notifies me, and I look down, and there it is. The message has caused alarm to friends and family that have seen it happen, but it's all too commonplace for me now. Five times a day, my phone buzzes and says, remember, you are going to die. I can tap the message if I want, and it'll share a brief quote. The theme is always the same, my inescapable mortality. The quotes range from the morbid to the absolutely luminous to the bizarre. One quote last week was from the Muslim poet Kabir. Friend, wake up! Why do you go on sleeping? The night is over. Do you want to lose the day the same way? Another from Matsuo Basho. Without the bittersweet cold that penetrates to the very bone, how can plum blossoms send forth their fragrance to the whole world? From Jane Hirschfield just yesterday. How fine is the mesh of death? You can almost see through it. And a favorite from Thich Nhat Hanh. To get out of your anger, you can close your eyes and imagine the other person in 300 years. What will they become? Ash. So will you. On and on, five times a day, another quote, another reminder that I am alive and death looms. The words of Vladimir Nabokov will greet me in the morning. The cradle rocks above an abyss. And common sense tells us that our existence is but a brief crack of light between two eternities of darkness And in the evening, I might be graced with Marcus Aurelius. Before long, you'll be no one and nowhere. Like all things you see now, all people living. If you are anything like the typical American, you might be thinking, my god, we have a morbid minister here. (laughs) And at the mere mention of death and mortality, you might be looking for the exits. And in case you need it, the nearest exit is down the aisle. (laughs) Or in emergencies, it is behind me as well. I recognize, for many of us, that we have had near and dear losses recently. Friends, family, friends of friends, distant relatives, people we do not know and whose lives still impacted us. And we might still be feeling raw and wrestling with that grief. Perhaps we have our own diagnosis that has brought this to the forefront of our minds and daily lives. Mortality does not wait for the right time to be discussed. I don't have the exact numbers, but for many years, the top two taboo topics in American culture have been sex and death. Money and politics always took a back seat to those two. But death has won in recent years. Ever since the 2000s came bounding into existence, the death avoidance of Americans has gotten worse if our continued national discomfort and injustice around health care are any indication, there is no room for the sick and dying in the United States. I don't want to spend our time postulating postulating why this really is, though if you've been around me long enough, I usually find a reason to blame the Puritans. Sex and death being taboo, it's got to be the Puritans' fault. I am convinced of this. (laughs) But these are complex topics and are wrapped in a complex cultural web that has permitted silence, avoidance, and fear. Our focus, of course, today is death. Now you might be wondering, those of you who have been around for for a while here, we have these monthly themes to anchor our Sunday services and a good portion of our religious education program. This month is the month of joy! Why on earth... Are we talking about death in the month of joy? The answer is quite simple, and it comes to us from the tiny Buddhist kingdom of Bhutan. In Bhutan, it is said that if you contemplate death five times a day, it will bring you happiness. And hence, the app on my phone that buzzes five times a day was born based on that practice in Bhutan. Now, while I doubt the Bhutanese have such an app, their practice is rooted deeply in a cultural web. But for me, as an American, it is a good start. The Kingdom of Bhutan is a small, landlocked nation nestled between Tibet and India with a population of just 730,000 people. For comparison, Fayette County has 323,000 people. I mean, 730,000, not 730. The official religion of Bhutan is Vajrayana Buddhism, which includes a deeply held belief in several wrathful deities that live in the mountains, and they have a monarchy and a parliament. Up until recently, the small kingdom was shrouded in mystery, and it was literally medieval. No paved roads, no internet, no modern infrastructure. The monarchy was absolute. No foreigners were allowed to visit kingdom was shrouded in mystery in the mid 20th and now 21st century the kingdom opened up and with that opening things have changed they're experimenting with traffic lights in the capital of thimphu and they have taken the national stage by storm since they have opened up where they have made themselves known this last remaining buddhist kingdom in the world this tiny himalayan nation is in a concept called GNH, gross national happiness. A term that was coined in 1972 and enshrined in the Constitution of Bhutan in 2008, gross national happiness is a concept that seeks to ensure the following nine areas of life are improved upon for every single person in Bhutan. Living standards, ecological diversity, community vitality, good governance, cultural diversity, education, health, psychological well-being, and time use. Imagine that being commonplace. In 2008, when this concept was put into their constitution and became known worldwide, people went wild. Everyone was talking about Bhutan. Is this the happiest nation on earth, headlines would read. Ambassadors were summoned to the United Nations, economic conferences were convened, and everyone wanted to know, know, is it possible to have gross national happiness just like you have gross domestic product? Journalist Madeline Drexler, in her book, A Splendid Isolation, visited Bhutan to figure out what this was all about, and she found out the truth. To sum it up, Gross national happiness is very much like our seven principles as Unitarian Universalists. Just because we write them down doesn't mean our work is done. In Bhutan, this concept is a vision of the people they yearn to be and not who they actually are. Drexler, in our book, goes on to gently scold progressives and countercultural advocates in the West who have fetishized Bhutan and their pursuit of happiness. Healthcare institutions are still overcrowded. Most of the nation barely scrapes by and lives in poverty. They rely almost entirely on food from India. Their infrastructure is not yet what it would be. And depending on who you ask, they have very different definitions of what happiness is. Ask a farmer and they'll tell you it's about just having enough. Ask someone who lives in the capital and it's the age-old story of keeping up with the Joneses. But it gets at the core of the difficulty of this question. What is happiness? What is joy? What brings me happiness might make you miserable. You might love glitter, but many of you know my opinions on glitter. (laughs) Some of you really love it. But here is where it is now fuzzy and confusing territory. Once Bhutan surged to the national international stage from its isolation, gross national happiness has become something the world demanded to know about. And in demanding to know about it, they demanded that it be measurable, quantifiable, concretely definable. There is a mathematical equation Bhutan now uses to satisfy economists and the United Nations to measure the happiness of their people. Capitalism loves to measure, define, and quantify. How much can this happiness be sold for? For many Bhutanese, this is a startling territory to be in, measuring happiness. Just imagine what it would be like, though, if every country in the world didn't just measure happiness, but made happiness just as important as commerce. We turn this morning to Bhutan not because happiness can be bought and sold, not because we fetishize the nation as some paradise. It truly is a beautiful nation. But there are many places in the world just as beautiful and happy, even here in Kentucky. We turn to this Buddhist kingdom because of how they continue to cultivate an ethic of mindfulness. Economists can try to measure happiness, But the Bhutanese center it in the personal, the spiritual, and their communal lives. Eric Weiner, who is a journalist with the BBC, found himself suddenly having a panic attack while on assignment in Bhutan. He had never had a panic panic attack before in his life, and if you have had one suddenly, it feels like you're dying. He rushed to the hospital, and the doctor questioned him more to find out what was going on. The doctor found nothing wrong with him. But the journalist wanted to know what he could do. He didn't want this to happen again. And the doctor replied with her prescription, You need to think about death five times a day. And she continued, It is this thing, this fear of death, this fear of dying before we have accomplished what we want or see our children grow, that is what is troubling you. He took it with a grain of salt, but then tried it out for a little bit. He started thinking about death once a day, not five times a day. And then two times a day, and three times a day, four times and five. And He hasn't had a panic attack since. Now, I'm not saying that's the cure. But it is through practices such as these, rooted in their Buddhist faith and their unique culture, that the Bhutanese have been practicing gross national happiness before it ever was the buzz of economists. This practice of contemplating our mortality to find happiness in life has been with this tiny kingdom for ages, and in many ways, it's been with the Dharmic religions since their inception. Now, I don't use this example of Bhutan as if to suggest that our ultimate end will bring about warm, fuzzy feelings with everything. Death is hard. Grief is hard. Living with loss is our bitter pill. And in our minds, we know our own demise is biologically inevitable. But here's something interesting. From Bhutan to Kentucky. In 2007, two psychologists at the University of Kentucky ran an experiment with two groups. And they were asked to think about two different topics for several minutes. The first group was told to think about a painful visit to the dentist. The second group, to contemplate their own deaths. How's that for a choice? (laughs) Think about that root canal or oblivion. As someone who's had many dental adventures, I will take oblivion. (laughs) But upon meeting with each group after their dental and mortal contemplations, the participants were asked to complete sentences and words. The second group, the group contemplating death was far more likely to construct words and sentences relating to joy. There it is, hardwired in our brains. When we contemplate a threat to our existence, when we make peace with the reality of it, it can bring about a search for joy, a remembering of happiness, a reminder that we are assured of only one life, our task as Unitarian Universalists is not to all move to Bhutan, though some days we might want to. Our task is not to be overly morbid, but our task is to help break the taboo about the eventual fate of every single human being on this planet. You, me, your loved ones, people you don't like, people you've never met and never will meet. It is as Thich Han said, we all become ash in 300 years even the people we are angry with, but so too the people we love. The taboo around this topic begins to fall apart when we find time to remember we are mortal. It doesn't have to be five times a day, yet the thought should still have crossed our minds this past week. And instead of chasing the thought away, we should just sit with it, let it sink in, Because from that, sitting with our mortality, we start to notice what is good and right, despite the world being imperfect and often tragic. We're reminded that out of Pandora's box, it just wasn't death, disease, and tragedy that came flying out of it. Hope emerged, and hope healed. It wasn't a hope that erased or ignored our mortality, but that hope that was in that same box as all those sorrowful things as well, it was there just waiting to be discovered. Have you let hope out of the box recently? It's there waiting for you. This reflection on our mortality also leads to some questions, some hard questions you may not want to have for Sunday brunch after service. Have you talked to your loved ones or friends about your fears, your hopes, your wishes for when the time comes, when your end comes? Have you sat down with your loved ones, or your friends, or even your minister and made your wishes known? Who knows what's going to happen to you? Well, that's an existential question. I mean, what's really going to happen to you when you're dead, right? Who knows what to do? Do you have advanced medical directives? Do you have a will? It's never too early or too late to get those things in order. What I have found in having my own phone buzz five times a day with a reminder of my eventual oblivion is that first, it often comes at the worst times. I will be checking church email, reading the news, or playing a game on my phone, and BAM! There it is! Brian, you're going to die. You better believe I put that phone down immediately but it also has caused me to start to appreciate the love I have found in life and living on a deeper level and to let go of some of my anger. We will all be dust in 300 years. Why be angry? Why not err on the side of love, even if that love is a love that speaks truth to power, which is not always easy? Why hold on to bitterness and anger? That is my growing relationship with death the doorway to awareness and intent. What could it be for you? Check your phones. Remember, you're going to die. Amen. Amen. Now I promise that's the last time I'll ever end a sermon with, you're going to die. Amen. (laughs)